Good day to you fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. I'm going to be speaking from a very well-known uh, story. Jesus called them parables. Parables are stories that teach a single principle, a spiritual principle, a principle uh, from the kingdom of God, but it's, it's told in, story, in a story that is very relevant to people's lives. So I'm going to read from a very important, very uh, well-known story. Those of you, it doesn't matter if you're in middle school, high school, college, you're going to get the story. But we're going to walk through it, but I want to do it in a different way. So we're going to do the reading of the story in a different way. First and foremost, to read the story, I want to invite you to open up your imagination with me and place yourself as if you're witnessing Jesus tell the story for the first time. Now, Sitting here in this, in this place in the 21st century and reading a scripture or a story that is at least 2,000 years old is very different. It is read and understood very different if you apply a 21st century understanding. So I want to take you back 2,000 years, okay? I want to take you back 2,000 years, and I want you to hear the following before we read the story. Number one. This is the story about the lost son or the prodigal, also known as the prodigal son. Luke, from where we're going to read, is the only evangelist, is the only gospel that records this story. No one else. As a matter of fact, Luke's gospel is known for including a lot of the parables. Luke wanted to make sure that Jesus' uh, uh, stories or teachings we're recording in his gospel so that people would understand that even the, the least person with training theologically, even the ones that don't come to church very often, would understand Jesus' teachings in the most simplest way. So now, when we, gonna, when we read, I want you to know that Jesus is traveling through Jerusalem. And this parable finds itself in the middle of all the parables. Jesus is journeying through and teaching, and along the way, he delivers some of the most famous stories, such as the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the rich fool, the great banquet, and the rich man and Lazarus. When you put those parables or those stories right before the one we're going to read this morning or right after, there's a common theme that emerges and the common theme is that Jesus is very interested in the lost. Jesus is very interested in those who really are not church people. But at the same time, the characters that take place in the story we're about to read also include some of the characters that are church people. Can you raise your hand with me and say, I go to church? How many church people are here today? All right, so you have a part in this story. I'm going to walk you through the story. By the way, it's more than a story. It's a teaching, and I've entitled the message, It's More Than a Story, because it's not just letters, words, sentences that, are you re that you're reading, but it really is a snapshot, I hope, that at the end of this teaching, it will be a snapshot of where you might find yourself today. And at the end, I'm going to make an invitation for you to reflect on where you are today and bring about a change by being receptive, acceptive, and, put, and placing in action God's calling upon your life. Now, if I read you the story, it's going to be boring. So I've invited a special guest. This Sunday is a, is a Sunday of special guests. I've invited a special guest. I'm going to borrow this mic. George is the blue one. If you will please turn it on for me. And I think I just did it. And I, I invited my son to come forward, please. Caleb, can you please come up? 
I've asked my son to read for me. And he's going to read in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. And we all learn very differently. Some people are visual learners. Others learn, assimilate more by hearing. So you pick, you pick yourself how you learn best, how you want to hear the story best. If you want to close your eyes and just listen to the audio version, you're more than welcome to do that. But if, if you're more of an audiovisual kind of person, then look at the screen because the scripture is coming up on the screen. Caleb, take it away, buddy. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in living, wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I, here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going Oh, I think this is out of order. No? Oh, I skipped a slide. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks, Caleb. So this story has multiple characters that we are going to go through today. The first thing we need to notice is that in this story, Jesus is addressing two types of crowds, two, two factions in the crowd that is listening to him. The number one is the Pharisees. Pharisee is a Hebrew word meaning separated. The Pharisees, another way of, of looking at this has to do with 
um, religious leaders, people who, uh, who thought that they had an insight with God. They thought that by observing and being in very good behavior that uh, they had an insight to God's secret sauce on salvation. And to them, perfection was very, very important to what they wanted to communicate. Now, the other group were the sinners, was the other faction. And Jesus got criticized most of his ministry because he, he hung or he spent a lot of time, <clears throat> not with religious leaders, but with those that were considered sinners, prostitutes, people who stole money from others, people who lied, people who, uh, different kinds of people from different walks of life. So when I asked you, can you place yourself in this story? I want you to think, in this story, where or who are you? <clears throat> who are you or who do you think you identify yourself with? Are you a person that likes to be right most of the time? That perhaps has a lot of years under your belt after having given your life to Christ? Or someone who people conceive to be very controversial, always going against everybody else, thinking that the whole world is going down, but you are right, and everyone else is wrong. And then there's others, and I would say most of us, if not all of us, are those others, sinners. We are all sinners. We've all fallen short from God's grace. We've all made mistakes. No matter how good you look or how much you know, we are all sinners in constant need of God's forgiveness. So those are the two factions. Those are the two people represented, the Pharisees and then the others, the sinners that are attending that group. You know, in another, in another uh, event, in another gospel, I don't know if you remember that Jesus went into the house of, someone, of, of a person <clears throat> and he was teaching and the house was filled with religious leaders. The house was so packed that there was no way to make it into the house. And there were these guys, these ordinary guys who, that found a lame man, a paralytic man. And all of a sudden, they had an idea. These four guys, five, however many, however many there were, they had an idea and they said, Let's break the roof and bring this paralytic man down from the roof and let's place him right in front of Jesus. You know, I've learned recently that it doesn't matter how much I know, how much anybody else knows, that doesn't mean you have the best idea. I'm of the, the type of uh, approach and mentality that says, let the best idea win no matter who it comes from. And that's what God likes. God likes people who are... Ordinary people that expect extraordinary things. People that have faith, that believe that God can do things in your life. It doesn't matter if, you, if people tell you you're not bright. Yes, you're bright. If God gives you an idea, you're more than bright. You're more than intelligent. You're more than ready. You're more than prepared. You're more than worth it. And that's what Jesus is talking to these two factions. So there are... Three people or three groups represented symbolically in these characters. Remember, the main characters of the story are the sinners and the Pharisees. Sinners, people who have mismanaged what God has given to them. That's all of us in this room. And Pharisees, religious leaders who thought they had an insight into, into God's secret sauce for salvation. They had a problem with Jesus because he spent a lot of time with sinners. Those are the two audiences hearing the story about the the prodigal son. But in this story, symbolically or allegorically, there are more than two represented here. First and foremost, we have the younger son in the story, we have the older son, and we have the father. We have three main characters in this story. So symbolically, the younger son represents the outsiders, those who have really messed up in their lives, those who have sinned against God, those who have done the wrong thing more than once 
and don't dare come close to God because they think that God is going to reject them. The second one is the older son. The older son represents the religious leaders who reject Jesus' call to repentance and look down on those outsiders because they're not part of the elite religious circle. And third, the father represents God. What is the central message of the story? The central message is that God loves, loves his wayward children and longs for them to return to him. Now, I'm going to say that this message is not just for people that, that are on church, but it's also for church people, all of us. As we progress through the message, you will find that. Now, Luke's original audience would have been shocked that Jesus is sharing such a story. Because to you and I, there are a lot of social, economical, uh, lifestyle, and community aspects that what was happening in the, in the first century is no longer relevant to us. Some of them. And I'm going to go through, through a couple of those. So I want, I want to place us in the historical placement of the story so that we can have a clear understanding why the story was so relevant to the group that Jesus was speaking to. First and foremost, in a Jewish audience that was listening to Jesus, the thought of a father giving the inheritance early would be kind of spoiling your kids in the 21st century. A father's giving of the inheritance before he's not even close to his deathbed, an early compensation or an early inheritance to the children is the equivalent of today of buying your children whatever they want, be an iPad, be an iPhone, be an iWatch, you name it. Giving them everything and anything that you and I did not have when we were growing up. In other words, it's like trying to relive our lives through the lives of our children. Am I speaking to someone today? Jesus speaking of a father given the inheritance early, this audience must have been shocked because it did not fit within the, the norms of society of that time. But we, let's, not, let's not just end there. Some even might have thought that it was foolish for a father to do that. They would have perceived also that the, the aspect of the father running to meet his son, as the story tells, when the son come back, comes back home, the father runs to meet the son, that would have been disgraceful for a father to do that. In their thinking, no father would run to meet their son. It's quite the opposite. Now, we, in our 21st century, depending on where you come from, some of this type of uh, approach to, okay, who goes first, still lingers. For instance, when our, when our kids grow older, if, if you're an empty nester, they're already married, they already have their family, some, some, family, some countries expect their children to be the ones initiating any and every phone call. They expect the children to come and visit for the holidays. More so than perhaps when the parents go and visit their children. Why? Because they say it's the, it's the son or the daughter responsibility to always remember your parents even when they grow old. Does this sound relevant? I, I know people who expect their children to continue to behave like 15-year-old when they're already 50. It's like they got stuck in that stage and they didn't allow, in their mind, they didn't allow their children to grow up. And that creates tensions in the family. But the family also, uh, but also it says that it was humiliating for the father to run because a distinguished father would never run anywhere, would always just walk with a lot of dignity, with uh, upright, looking upright, and with a lot of uh, dignity and respect. A father never ran because what if he trips? What if he falls? It's an embarrassment to the family. Now, in the, hierarchy, in the family hierarchy, the father is the head of the household. And his children are his dependents. So the head of the household never runs to his or her dependents. Do you now begin to see how this audience would have been shocked? 
to hear such a story because it was contrary to the, to the norms of society in the community of a Jewish, small Jewish community. Also, it says, it, it would have been shocked because understanding that the father's response to the son's remorse. In other words, it was not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The father was not making the son, and in our case, son or daughter, pay for his or her consequences. But the father forgives the son. So how come the father throws out a party and, and clothes them with his own clothes and put on a ring and put shoes, brand new shoes on his son without making the son feel a lot more remorse and, and kind, of, kind of pinch him a little and make him squirm for all the wrong things that he did. Society of that time were having a hard time accepting such a story because it was contrary to how families be, lived and behaved, how society behaved during that time. So the historical placement of the story, we already know that it's creating some tensions. It's making people feel uncomfortable. It's making their religious leaders feel uncomfortable because right next to them, they have sinners. People who don't have, in their opinion, dignity to sit next to. The sinners are uncomfortable because they, the story is revealing in their own selves where they, are, where they are in life, even though they don't dare to say it or acknowledge it in public. And this story has, has a progression. It means it has a movement. It's moving in three directions. And I want to share those movements with you. And I just skip. Don't feel bad, Caleb. I skip, uh, I just skip a slide myself. I'm not used to doing the, this, the PowerPoint myself. So, I, I, no, I'm good. We already covered this. The three uh, groups represented, the younger son, the older son, and the father. But it has three movements. The story has three movements. And here we go. Number one, the son, the story begins with the son craving his independence. He comes to the father, he asks for his inheritance, and he wants to be independent. In other words, he wants to be a big boy. And in our 21st century, whether it's a boy or girl, even though the story is narrated in a patriarchal, meaning male-dominated society, in our society, it can, it can go either way. It could be a son or a daughter that wants to crave their independence and be able to uh, uh, go and live like a big girl or a big boy. Number two, he blows his independence and his inheritance. He's a, he's a bad manager of his money, and he does not live very well. And number three, he flees from his insanity. That's the movement of the story. It begins with asking the father for what belongs to him, going out and squandering everything he had, not having the skills to manage life, and then coming to his senses and fleeing from his insanity. Now, if that is so true, then we need to... We need to Recognize the following, that if a father never gave his inheritance to his children until he's on his deathbed, we're talking about the younger son. The younger son receives one-third of the father's net worth. So just to put it in plain terms, let's say the father owned $10,000 back then. A lot of money. One-third is $3,333.33. That's all the younger son will, will be entitled to. One-third, $3,333. The older son will be entitled to the two-thirds, $6,666. Please don't be mystical about that number. Those that are church people don't even read into that. It's just a mathematical equation that I did in my head. It has nothing to do with that other number. <laughs> so, in a Jewish culture, you can't live on one-third. He got it early. He didn't get what he expected. And the older son 
was mad, was about to be mad in a short while later in the story, and I will tell you why. But the youngest was indeed, indeed saying to his father by asking for his inheritance early, I don't want you in my life. I just want the inheritance. In other words, a death wish upon the father by coming to his father early. He was saying to the father, I wish you were dead so I can collect my inheritance right now. This could have led the father to expel him from his, father, from his house. But that, the story doesn't go that route. The story says that the father gave him the one-third and he left. And now the story says where he went. He didn't go and put it in the bank. He didn't go and invest it. He didn't go to start a business. It's not because he had found a cute girl that he wanted to marry and begin a family. No, he squandered it. He began to live a lavishly, uh, lavishly and began to have friends, quote-unquote friends, as long as the money was in his pocket. Once the money ran out, reality sat in. And now, I want to pause for a moment because this is important. We have all in this room, whether you have given your life to Christ a week ago, a day ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whether you were born in a Christian home and you were raised as a believer in Christ, oh, you had, oh this is the very first time that you set foot in a church. We have all, without exception in this room, already have asked for our inheritance early because we grew up in a society that says, let me live my life and I'll let you live yours. Because we look to, to the government to say, when am, when am I considered an adult at 18? When am I considered an adult to drink at 21? When can I be independent? As soon as, as soon as my father kicks me out, my parents kick me out, as soon as I get a job, I'm out of my house. So without exception, without exception, we have all asked for our inheritance early. We've all tried to live our own lives. We've all tried to live without God being part of the equation. But thank be to God that some of us have come to our senses and have said, I was only able to get so far without God. But now that I have him in me, I'm not letting him go. Now that I have him in me, it is worth more than I thought I had in me. But without exception, in this room, in this morning, we have all tried to live independently. The son blows his inheritance in a distant country. Now, I want you to think for a moment. When we say a distant country, we're not talking that he lived in the United States and he flew all the way to, to Europe or France and went to live in France. The word distance country here represents a spiritual distance, a relational distance and not a geographical distance. You can be in church but not have God in, heart, in your heart. You can be in the family house and yet not be part of the family. You are part of the family when you have God in your heart. Then you are considered a son and a daughter to the king of kings. The younger son went away and created that distance, that separation that most of us want to have. You know, whether you're conscious about it or not, some of us, some of you, some of us don't even know who our neighbors are. Or maybe you know your neighbor next door in your community, or maybe to the left or to the right. But others don't even know, they don't relate. It's like you're living in a community of strangers. Everybody owns a house, but you don't have any community. You don't have any relationships with your community. So when we say about going in a far distance, is that he... he ruptured the relationship between the father and him and between him and his older sibling. 
the son finds himself employment at a pig's farm. Now, those of you who come to church regularly know that, I don't know if you remember that show in the early 2000s, the mid-2000s, actually 2005 to 2012, Dirty Jobs with uh, Rick uh, Rowe. Dirty Jobs. This man found any dirty job, and they made a reality show out of it, and it was quite interesting because this guy would do the jobs that most people don't think exist or don't even envision on doing. This younger man had a Rick Rowe kind of job, a dirty job, the dirtiest job in his society because he found himself working with pigs, which is the most impure, the dirtiest of animals, the most condemned. God in Deuteronomy said, stay away from pigs. Don't eat them. Don't touch them. Don't eat from them. Don't eat with them. Don't even look at them. I'm not coming against those that love pork chops. I am not. Come on, people, stay with me. You're, laking, you're letting your culture take you in a totally different direction. But I believe that Jesus transforms culture. Hello, somebody. So he found himself doing the, the most undesirable job, the most ironic employment that a, that a young Jew would have. And here's where the story turns around, because he had an aha kind of moment. He came to his senses. And because he came to his senses, it's not that he had an epiphany. It's not that an angel touched him. It's not that he heard God's voice audibly. The story doesn't record that. It says that he came to his senses. Jesus was very clear and putting this as part of the story, why? Because I wa he, wants, he wanted the, those listening to his story then, and he wants us here today, that every time we read the story, he wants you to know that God has given you intellect. God has given you the brightness, the, in, the intellect, the ability to process situations and circumstances. And be able to have an aha kind of moment. But not just any moment, but a moment that will turn you away from your wrongdoing and turn you towards God. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe God has gifted me as God has gifted you. But I don't, I don't expect to hear God's audible voice every time. I don't need a word of prophecy every time. I don't need to live in a mystical bubble wherever I go because if the Spirit of God lives in me, that means that I have been empowered to process beyond what the human being, the average human person can do. I can't. I welcome it. I love it. I know God uses people. One of the ways that God reveals himself to, to me is through dreams. I can tell when a dream comes from God, and I, and I know when a dream is because I ate very late the night before, <laughs> which I don't do very often. And your situation may be different, but every time... I need to hear from God. I don't go to bed and say, God, give me a dream, give me a dream, give me a dream. Because I don't want to become dependent on the gift. Listen to me, church. We cannot become addicted or dependent on the gift. We need to become addicted and dependent on the gifter, not the gift. The outcome for the difference between those two is huge. Because those that get stuck on the gift, they don't grow up. They remain immature. They're always depending on someone else. 
But when you depend on the gifter, then you can go to different places. And God can use you. And you grow in your maturity level. So in this case, we need to understand that God gave this young man an aha moment. It's like a bulb lit up in his brain. He said, wait a second. Let me, let me assess where I'm at right now. I'm eating the same food the, from the pots the pigs eat from. I'm spending eight hours a work day. You, put the, you place the number of hours that applies. Whether it's a part-time job, two part-time jobs, or a full-time job. Whether it's a 35-hour full-time job or a 40-hour-per-week full-time job. He was spending most of his time with impure animals. He was broke. He had nothing. And he realized he had no future. And he said, let me go back. Let me go back. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I got, I got news. As long as a person decides to stay away from God, you're going to starve spiritually. And you will never fill that empty hole in your heart and in your mind. Because when God comes to your life, he doesn't only touch your heart, meaning your feelings, meaning how you feel. He doesn't only touch your circumstances. He also touches your soul. He touches your, your brain. He impacts your brain. Do you know that most of, the, most of the, the way we feel and the way we see ourselves is the result of how we think? If you think that you are sick and you call yourself that you're sick and that your grandmother had the same sickness and your, and your, and your mother had the sickness and your aunt had the sickness, guess what? Sooner or later it's going to happen. Because people, whatever you believe, that's how you're going to action. And he said, no. There are more in my father's house and I have nothing here. And I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Whatever the sin, whatever the wrongdoing you have experienced or you have committed, it is never laterally only. It's not only people against people or one person to another person. It is always a vertical wrongdoing. I, I'm sorry, a horizontal wrongdoing, but it also has vertical repercussions. That's why the Bible says, how can you bring your offering forward if you're mad with your brother or your sister? Go and, and, and make amends with him or her and then bring your offering so there will be no obstacle to your prayers. So he, he the, this young man expressed and he said, I have committed a sin against you, my father, but also against heaven. Because if we are not able to be in relationship here, we will never be in relationship with the Father, the Heavenly Father. I have met people that think that because they're spiritual, that because they do this, they, they're, they're committed, they're faithful, they think almost, not quite, but almost like a Pharisee. Because they've been separated. They've separated themselves so much, it's only between them and God that is never between them and the person sitting to your left and to your right. Can you turn to the person next to you, whichever side that is, and say, that's not me. And tell them, that's not you. <laughs> the young man realized that he wasn't right with God. He had an awareness that he wasn't right with God. He had sinned against God and his father. And he realized he had the responsibility. He had a responsibility with his father. And then he began the journey back. Now, he ran back to the father. I'm sorry, he went back to the father. But I want, I want you to look at something here. 
It says that the young man decided to go back to the father, right? He came to his senses, and he went back. But in one of the verses, we said that the father saw him, saw him when he was far off. Well, he was still at a distance. And what did the father do? He didn't wait at the door. He didn't wait in the house. He went and he ran. Now, I'm going to show, I, I have a picture there for you. I want to, I want to share, share something with you. In Jewish culture, there was a ritual in the, in the times of the Bible. This ritual is named Kazaza. Kazaza it is a word that means the ritual, the ceremony of a, of a broken jar. Okay? And what it meant was that the elders, the leaders, the elders of the community, whenever, whenever someone like this young man did with his fam family, whenever someone in the community did something such as this, as what was depicted in this story, the elders of the community would come out in an agreement, in unison agreement, come out to the doors, the gates of the town or the city, and bring a, a, a jar of clay, and before the young man or the young woman or whoever it was made it through the gates of the town, they would break that jar, and that was like a, a judicial rendering, and what they said is, by doing that is, you're not welcome back. You're not welcome back. And this happened over and over and over again. Now, follow me for a moment. Jesus, the Son of God, he's ahead of you and ahead of me, ahead of all of us. He was ahead of the Pharisees and ahead of the sinners. There's a reason why he said the Father ran first. Because as long as the father met the son first, as long as the father made it outside the city gates, as long as the father made contact with the, with the exiled son or daughter, these elders cannot pass judgment on the person that was full of sin and disgrace. Hallelujah. The father had never given up on the son. The father had never forgotten on the, about the son. The father, this father had never stopped praying for the son. And I know there are a lot of mothers and a lot of dads who pray every single day for their sons and their daughters. If you are here today, it doesn't matter how far your son or your daughter is from God. Don't stop believing God for your children. Don't let anybody pass judgment. Don't let anyone cast a, an outcome or, for, or foretell what is gonna, what's going to happen with your son or daughter. You have the word. You have the spirit of God. You have the word of God. You have the foreknowledge. You have the experience. You have the testimony. And you have this community that says that God is able to do what no one else can. The father, the father ran. Even though culture, the Hebrew culture said that it was improper for a father to run. It was undignifying for a father to run. Even though culture said father's not supposed to run towards his children when they're in trouble. And maybe some of us were raised that way. If he left or she left, she's on her own. He's on, her, on his own. There's a lot of people that were raised in this 21st century. If you do something wrong, don't come to me. I'm not going to save you. If children don't have their parents' spiritual covering, who's going to cover them? Who's going to cover them? Nobody's going to cover them. It is our responsibility to never give, on, give up on hope. And not just any hope, 
is the blessed hope to the assurance, not just any assurance, but the blessed assurance that Jesus promised to hear the prayers of those that, that call out to him. Your children are your children. Mine are my children. And as much as you like or love my children, they're my responsibility. And so are yours, your responsibility. The town elders did not get a chance to break that, that clay pot and tell the running person, you're not welcome here. Remember in the beginning I said that the main teaching of the story is, is a, the main uh, teaching of the story of this parable is the story of reconciliation and restoration. That's the heart of the good news. That's the heart of God's message to society. So if God is represented in the Father, remember I told you the three groups represented here? The younger son represents all of us. That we did something wrong against God at some point in our lives. The older son is the one that feels all self-righteous. He knows better. He behaves well. He goes by the book. He never goes astray. He's always doing what, what the, the father is telling him. And therefore, this son, or in our case, son or daughter, feels they have the first right to getting first dibs of mom and dad because they always do right. And a lot of sibling wars begin because one sibling does not behave or does not live up to the expectations as much as the other one, whether it's the older or the younger one. And a lot of siblings, they begin that sibling war, and guess what? They grow up that way. By the time they're adults, there's nothing that can repair that unless Jesus has, has mercy on them. And now the father in this story represents God. So I'm going to ask you, if God is willing to run for you and for me that are not worthy of him exposing himself to humiliation, which he did 2,000 years ago, how much more would we, should we not be willing to go the long way, the extra mile for each other? Now, the father... His, this is love and action. Love and action. The father kissed his son multiple times. The father clothed his son with a robe. Not just any robe, his robe. By doing that, he was telling the elders and everyone else, my son is no longer naked. My son is no longer exposed. My son is no longer living on borrowed items. He has a heavenly father. He has a father that can stand up with him, next to him, and for him. The father put a ring in one of his fingers. Then he killed a fattened uh, calf to bring back the son from death, from, uh, from death to life again. Now, I get it. This was, he went totally out of the way. This father totally went out of the way. And most of us would not do this. We would take it little by little to find out if someone is really that sorry. I get it. I get it. Some of us will say, well, let me see how repentant he or she really is. And take it little by little. Let me see if I can trust her or trust him again. There are things that are never said, but nevertheless you can perceive because of the way people behave. And you don't need to beat a horse when they're down. When someone is broken, you don't need to break them over and over again to make sure they know they're broken because they know they're broken. What's the point of doing that? I can't play God. 
but I can play the broken one that has come to his senses and say, God, would you forgive me? Because I've been mistreating my loved ones. God, would you please forgive me? Dad, mom, would you forgive me? Brother, sister, will you forgive me? Because I have breached, I have, I have breached our bond. And I haven't been doing or living as someone who's appreciative of what God has given to them. I can't play the self-righteous. But how do I know if I'm playing the self-righteous? How do I know I'm, how do I know I need the mirror effect? How do I know I'm, I'm the younger brother and not the older brother? Although in our context, the, the younger sister or the older sister, just to be inclusive of our reality. So here it is. Signs for us to check ourselves whether we are being an older brother or an older sister. We're resentful when others get blessed or when others experience success. Some people become a little jelly. <laughs> my, my daughter taught me that one. <laughs> they get offended by small slights. Get offended easily. We're human beings. We make mistakes. Those of us that make mistakes, we have the responsibility to learn from our mistakes and not make them again and not become a habit of hurting those that are hurt by our mistakes, previous mistakes. We have the responsibility. But those that have been hurt by the mistakes of others have the responsibility to forgive. Because if you forgive, then it will be forgiven unto you. We're quick to see the flaws of others. I need to see my own. I'm angry when others get away with it. Did this young son get away with it? Did he get away with it? Well, it depends who you are. If, you, if you're the older brother or sister, you're going to think he got, got, got away with it. But if, you, but if you think like the father, you're going to say, he didn't get away with it. He was on the brink of death but I was able to bring him back to life. He was on the edge. She was on the edge. But she didn't jump. He didn't jump. He or she did not believe what has been happening in our family tree every generation. If you, if you and I think like the father, we won't say he or she got away with it. We will say, I thank God that God saved her or God saved him. Oh, my God, only God was able to do that. No one else. You think God owes you because you acted right. Let me, I have another slide coming very soon. And it's important for us to, to have exposure to, to these things because no matter how right I think I am, at the end of the day, I still got to have forgiveness because somewhere in between, I've done something wrong. And I have to be humble enough to say, I've done wrong. I'm sorry. We're often competing for and often seeking recognition and approval from others. We want people to know that we, we're doing good. We want people to see how good of a, of a worker I am, how good of a volunteer I am in church. Oh, how well I get along with the leader so-and-so or the pastors, how much they like me, how much they love me. We're craving that public recognition. If I develop that, I'm an older brother. I don't want to be an older brother. I want to be a repentant younger brother. Wow, it's gotten mighty quiet here. And we're seeking appreciation through work. Here's a challenge. Determine which brother 
you must identify with and ask God what you should do next. I don't know. I can tell you I've been a younger brother and I've been an older brother in the symbolic kind of way. I've been both. This is a challenge for us today. Which one really touches close to home? What is God saying to us through this story and the roles that Jesus depicts in, in, in through the story in each one of these characters? What am I supposed to do next? So what's the big deal about this whole preaching? What's the takeaway? Tell your neighbor, what's the takeaway from this? Well, the big deal is that good behavior can keep you as far from God as bad behavior. Hello? Good behavior can keep you far from God as bad behavior. Because Jesus did not come to reward the ones that behave good. The Pharisees were behaving good within the spiritual law of Moses. But good behavior don't make you right. And bad behavior don't make you right. You remember when Jesus was crucified and he had the two thieves hung next to him? Three crosses. One to his, uh, Jesus in the middle and one thief to his left, one to his right. Both thieves were at the same physical distance from Jesus' cross. They were both right next to the Savior, but they were both heading in totally opposite directions. This is more than a story. It has to become a lifestyle. It has to become a life principle for us to recognize that the prodigal son parable does not apply when you really want to win souls, but really when we have to kind of do a reset in our lives and kind of say, you know what, God, I, I need to recheck myself as to why I do what I do inside and outside the church, as to how I behave with people inside or outside the church. What's my motive? What's my motivation? What motivates me to do the things I do as a volunteer in the house of God? Do I want, am I pursuing that certificate? Do I want the accolades? Do I want a pat on, constantly pat on the back? Or do I want another like on my social media posting because that's validating to me? That tells me people like me. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. What's bad is becoming dependent on that. And putting all your, your bets, all your emotional uh, capital, all your, your life is bigger than that, than likes and emojis. Life is more purposeful than that. Yeah, it's okay. I, I like to stay connected. But I'm of the generation, I, I go to Facebook before I can go to Instagram. Go to Facebook. Now, you ask a 15-year-old, a teenager, or a young adult, they don't go to Facebook. They go somewhere else. But guess what? We all going to date ourselves every sooner or later. So what's the big deal? Good behavior and bad behavior can keep you very far from God. So right where you are, I'm going to ask you, would you bow your head with me? We've just, we're about three weeks into a brand new year and a brand new decade. And it's a great opportunity to take a look at this story through the lens and through the historical uniqueness of the characters that Jesus included in this story. And ask ourselves, What's my behavior like with others? Have I been a younger brother or sister 
recurrently, every now and then, most of the time, every day, every week? Am I taking God's grace and love for granted? The story has shown us that Jesus, that God has no problem whatsoever. No problem. He doesn't think twice about running towards you. He's more than willing and able to do that any time of the day, any second of the hour. The question here is, are you willing to get up and to come to your senses in order to experience the initiative that he, that he already did by giving his life on the cross? Or maybe as the older brother, and you are an older brother today or an older sister, and you perhaps grew up thinking or you were raised or were even taught by your family that if you do things right in life, others will destroy their own lives. But you've developed that sense of righteousness, self-righteousness. And whether it's because of economical influence, societal influence, or, where, or, or the customs, the culture where you come from has informed you that way. And you haven't been able to be, experience forgiveness by giving forgiven, forgiveness to others, by forgiving others that have done wrong you. And your heart has become hardened. This story is for you. This story is for the young and old, the experienced and the inexperienced, the church and the unchurched, the most knowledgeable and the least knowledgeable. Right where you are, if you identify with this story, you say, you know what? I need to turn it around. I need to come to my senses. I needed the story to tell me that I was heading in the wrong direction. Either as an older brother or sister, younger brother or sister, I've been heading in the wrong direction. This is your moment. This is your time. If this story touched you, the way it touched me because I see myself in the story would you raise your hand with me because I want to pray with you thank you I'm going to ask everyone to please stand going to ask, I'm going to request that you, in this moment that is very critical, that you join in prayer with all of us. Because there's a number of people that rose their hands. Now, I'm not going to ask you to come up. Because I believe that God has already spoken to you. The Word of God has already touched you. And right where you are, right where you are if you're next to the person that you identified that you have that you need to forgive or ask for forgiveness or you have a significant other next to you I'm going to ask you would you join hands with that person and with your eyes closed I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer with me When everyone is ready, we'll do this. We'll say this corporate prayer. With your eyes closed, we're going to repeat out loud. Repeat with me, Heavenly Father. Let me hear your church. Heavenly Father, we thank you because your word speaks life to me. It convicts me. It has given me the aha moment this morning. now I have the tools and the knowledge to walk out of this place with greater understanding but also with a, with a broken heart because you have broken me with your word Jesus I ask you 
to piece it back together again. To give me of your Holy Spirit so that I can walk out of here with a renewed perspective of what it is to be forgiven. Help me understand that we all need forgiveness and develop in me a desire to forgive others. I pray this in Jesus' name. My Savior and the Savior of this world. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God keep you. And Pastor Amy will take it from here. I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel not only to the Lehigh Valley but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.